Father, I ask today that this ancient story might become relevant to each of our hearts and that we might learn how to take down some giants ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at a, a series now, looking at David, a man after God's own heart. And we're at the time of, of training of David at the moment, where God is training him to become the king of Israel. And, and, and God placed David in some really uh, difficult situations. And in these difficult times, David learned to trust in the Lord and to walk in the power of God, not in the power of his own flesh. And David learned necessary le uh, lessons that are necessary to survive life, but not only to survive, to prosper in his life. And as we see David in these desperate times, in these verses, we, we see David trusting God for some really big things. And in return, we see God do the miraculous in David's life. Now, you've probably heard sermons about David and Goliath ever since you were in Sunday school. I never went to Sunday school, so I can bless myself for having a new sermon. <laughs> but I think there's some really helpful instructions in these verses that help us learn how to live as Christians. So let's have a look at it. The first point I want to make this morning is that survival is a matter of timing. Because this day began for David like any other day for David. He plans to go and tend the sheep, and he's doing the same thing he's done for years, looking after the sheep for his father. But this day was going to be different. Jesse sends David to check on David's three elder brothers who are fighting in Saul's army, and they've been gone for at least 40 days. So this so-called battle, because it wasn't much of a battle yet, had been going on for a long time, and Jesse's a bit worried. Because in those days, countries often didn't have standing armies. Ordinary citizens would rally around the king when he called for volunteers to go and fight. So David goes to, to see his brothers, as he's commanded to do, and when he arrives, he finds Israel, the, the whole army, cowering in fear because of the taunts of this giant called Goliath. Let's have some statistics of, of Goliath. In, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. That's a big bloke. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now, that's about 57 kilos. When I stand around in my undies on the scales, I'm 91 kilos. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of things that he's carrying. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's about 7 kilos. Right, your big thing of milk is, is, is 3. Two and a bit of those. That's a lot. That's heavy, isn't it? And his shield bearer, and his iron point, six, 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. So, he's imposing, this man. He looks scary. He's big. He's got big armament. He's a heavy infantryman. And even King Saul, who stands head, of, head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, he's, a, he's afraid to, too afraid to go and fight this giant in battle. But whilst the army of, of Saul hides in their tent, David hears as this Philistine blasphemes the name of God. Because that's what he's doing. He shames the people of God. And, and David's day, which started like so many others' day, so many others' day had started, 
before the sun goes down, he finds himself having to face a mighty giant. Now, this is the first thing that we need to remember here. Isn't that how giants come into everyone's lives? I'm sure some of you have faced some and will face some or are facing a giant at the moment. A big problem that just comes into your life. You wake up in the morning, it seems like a normal day, and before the day's finished, there's this huge thing. Whether it's a doctor's report or, or some situation that happens to you, whatever it is, there it is. And, and, and it catches us off guard and we're frightened and, and, and we look up and we go, I've got no idea what to do with this big, big problem. So if we're going to survive in giant country, we need to understand that giants don't just show up. Their appearance is actually well-timed. Now, from our perspective, of course, a giant just appears. The problem just occurred today. I didn't know it was going to happen. But from God's perspective, they're all part of his perfect plan for us. Now, that's sometimes a scary thought. If we could grasp this, this incredible truth that nothing comes our way apart from the will of God or the providence of God or the allowance of God, I think it would change our, our attitude towards the giants of life. Romans 8.28 All things, in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. Even when the giants come. Psalm 37 verse 23 If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his step firm. Even when the giants are there. Job 23 verse 10 He knows the way I take and when I am tested I will come forth as gold. Job had some giants of a problem, didn't he? Jeremiah 29 verse 11 The Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He plans to give you a hope and a future. There's lots of scripture like that that encourage us to think, well, God is actually in control and he wants us to get through this. When those scriptures become real to us, I think they can bring incredible comfort to our hearts. But most of the time, we're actually just like Israel. They wandered through the wilderness for two years. After they left Egypt, they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. And all they had to do was cross the river and take the promised land of blessing that God had given to them. And instead of going and taking the land, first of all, they sent in 12 spies. Better have a look what's there. Ten spies come back and say, Oh, it's a wonderful place, but there are big giants there. Don't go in. Two other spies, of course, say, Hang on, we can take this. It's no problem. Look at the stuff we bring back with us. But the people, they, they listen to the negative report of the ten, and they spend 38 years wandering around in the wilderness. That's one heck of a detour. And here's the point of all that God knows about the giants. He could have removed them from Israel before the people went in. Did he allow them to be there? The answer is yes. Yes, God knew the giants were there. And yes, God knew they were going to stay there until the people came in. He could have removed them, but he allowed them to be there. God wanted Israel to face its giants. And 40 years later, when they came back to the Jordan River, guess what happens? The giants were still there. And the same principle happens over and over again in the Bible. Yeah? The Hebrews in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. The disciples in a storm. It's a giant of a storm. It's scary. God knew all about those events. And they were part of his plan. That comforts me. It frightens me, but it also comforts me. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. When that giant shows up in your life, it didn't get there by accident. That giant is there by the providence of God. It's there because God sent it, allowed it, or however you want to say it, 
It's there because God, in His precise timing, wants you to face the giant that comes to you. So when the giants come, we can get depressed, we can get defeated, or we can realize that they are a tangible symbol of God's presence. God is working in our lives. We can be like Saul in Israel and we can hide. Or we can be like David and we can go down and face that giant. We can be discouraged or we can be like Job who says, you know, I'm going to worship in spite of what the giant is going to do in my life. The choice is ours. But if we ever understand that, that giants come according to God's timing, I think it's going to help us when we get to giant country. God's behind it all. And God's got a plan. Remember that. The second point I want to make this morning is that survival is a matter also of trusting. When David hears the threats and the defiance of Goliath, he determines that something's got to be done about this giant, and he makes his intentions known. Have a look at your Bible again. At, uh, at Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verses 26 to 32. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes his disgrace, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I like the way he describes him. This huge, uncircumcised Philistine. Why is he talking about a little piece of skin that hasn't been cut off the end of his penis? What's he doing? He's saying, this man is outside of the covenants of God. That's what he's saying. This man's outside of all the blessings, of all the promises of God. Why are you frightened of him? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and, and at him and asked, why have you come down here? And who, to whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are. I like the way it says the old King James. I know the naughtiness of your heart. That's what it says. And how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So David sets out to see that Goliath is going to be defeated. But as soon as David expresses his desire to see this giant defeated, he's met with criticism. He's met with doubt. Saul says, you're only a boy. This man's a seasoned warrior. How can you go up and fight him? Yet as we watch David move forward towards that moment when he's going to face off with the giant, we see a young man who's learned something about faith and trust in the Lord. Because David has learned about God's purposes. Remember we've learned that David was anointed to be the king of Israel? He was not yet the king of Israel. The prophet of God, Samuel, had come and anointed him to be the king of Israel. David knew he was going to be the king of Israel. Today is not the day that he was going to die. Yeah, he knew that. David also learned about God's protection. Verses 34 to 37, I love this. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. This is a lion or a bear. You ever been to the zoo? Those things are big. When it turned on me, I seized it 
by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, there he is again, this man outside of the covenant of God, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David had learned about God's protection. He knew that everything God had done in the past, he was still able to do today. And David had learned about God's power. David knew that the victory didn't reside in, in swords or shield or spears or arms, armor or bows, but in the power of God. And he would go into this battle with the same God and the same weapons that he had used before to defeat the lion and the bear. That's how he was going to go into that battle. In other words, David was not trusting in the army, the armor or the armaments. David was trusted in God Almighty. This same God who protected him and given him his victory day after day in the hills of Judea would grant him the victory in this valley of Elah. Because David, as far as David was concerned, there was only one giant around him in that place, and it wasn't Goliath. It was Almighty God. That's the giant in the life of David. So what lesson is there for those of us who face giants from time to time? If we could learn the same lessons that David had learned about fighting giants, we could make short work of them. And here's what you need to know. God did not save you for some giant to destroy you. I think the same thing applies to David as applies to us, right? God saved us to take us home to glory. I will not be defeated. I cannot be defeated. That's where I'm going. That giant cannot undo the eternal work that God's already done in my soul. Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion, on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to keep on working until I go until Jesus comes back. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I cannot be defeated. Scripture says so. That giant is there as part of God's eternal plan in my life. That giant is there to grow us. What's it say in the book of Numbers? The Lord is with you. Well, he's with them. He's with us too. There's nothing quite like cutting our teeth, I think, on a few giants to help us grow in our faith. That's part of God's purpose. So we also learn that God will not change course in the middle of the stream. God has always been what he ever has been. That's one of the greatest attributes of God. It's called his immutability. That simply means that God is unchangeable, ever. He cannot change. He cannot change. The same God who did all those marvelous, miraculous things we read about in the Bible is still the same God today. You've heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna, water from the rock, you know, the meal barrel and the cruise of oil that never finished, you know, the loaves and the fishes, the raising of Lazarus. The same God who did all of those things and countless other things is our God today. I am who I am, says God to Moses. That is our God, the same God. He is self-existent. He is changeless. He is God. You can trust him for his protection. Isn't it amazing, though, as human beings, we always remember our defeats. If I, how are you? Oh, well, you know, there's this and there's that and there's... Yeah? We always remember the difficult things. We remember the troubles. How about remembering the victories? Oh, there was the time I overcame and this and God did that. I'll ask Kev Brown. You'll, you'll hear a few things. 
Oftentimes we remember the valleys, but we forget the mountaintops. So our God is not going to change. He's the same God. And God will never fail those who place their trust in him. Those who trust in men, methods and materials, these things can and they will fail, I promise you. But the power of God can never fail. God is not weak. He's not anemic. He's a God of power, a God of glory, a God who's ever moving in mighty ways to make his power known. Those who trust him as they face the giants of life, they can see his power at work in their lives. God is powerful. We can trust him. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you. Verse 1, great verse. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Will you trust God even if you can't see the solution right now? Trust him anyway? Where is your trust as you face the giants of life? Is it in man, in the economy, in self? All of these things will fail. You watch our great economic leaders and our great politicians do and undo and get stuck and don't know what to do. They all fail. So as we face our giants, let us be certain that our faith and our dependence is on the Lord. He will not fail. Our survival depends on us being able to trust in Him. The third point I want to make this morning is that, is that survival is a matter of taking. There comes a time when we must stop and take action. Stop talking about it and actually do something. The time had come for David to take what had already been given to him by the Lord. He walked down into that valley. He faced the giant. He declared his faith in God. He slung the stone and he killed the giant. What a moment it must have been to, for in young David's life to see God do through him what no one but David alone thought was possible. There needs to be a time when talking stops in our own lives and we begin to take some action. As we face our own giants day by day, isn't it time we start taking some action by faith rather than just talking about it? Now, we always talk about God can provide for us, you know? Philippians 1, uh, 4 verse 19, My God is able to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs? All your needs. Why do we worry about our finances? Speak to myself in that one. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm getting older. What am I going to do when I retire? Superannuation is not all that much. I'm going, ooh, it's going to be tricky. Well, there it is. God's going to supply my needs. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. But still, we act like we're not going to make it. It's going to be too hard. We talk about God being in control of our lives. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. But we act like our lives are out of control. Look at all these difficulties and the problems that I've got. Isn't it time we stopped talking about all the things we could have in Jesus and start taking the things that we have in Jesus? David defeated Goliath because he was willing to take what God had given him by faith. The same thing will work in our lives today. As we face our giants, we've already been promised a victory. Did you know that? Let me give you some scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a victorious person. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Sounds good to me. 
Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's take a hold of those things. Let's walk like that. Let's talk like that. Let's live like that. Let's be like David. Why not? Do you reckon we could do it? I think we could. I've got to remember to tell you a story. That's why I hang that thing there. How do we do this? We do what David did. We place our trust in the Lord. We believe that he can do everything he's ever done. And we walk into the valley, we square off with our giant, and we keep on slinging until he falls. We need to do that. I'm convinced that one of the reasons David took five stones to kill one giant, he thought, well, I might miss the first time. I'm going to keep on slinging until I get him. Whether you believe me or not, you're all able to be giant slayers. Not because you possess the power, but because you serve a God who possesses all the power. Not because your aim is good, but because your God never misses. Not because you deserve anything from God, but because He's promised to, to give you the victory through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get out there. Let's take what's ours by faith because our survival depends on it. I want to tell you a story. I want to move a bit because I need a bit of room. This is a sling I made years and years and years ago. I want to make sure I don't get a copy of that there. It's a toy. I made it when I was a kid. Made out of some parachute cord. I was reading the story of David and Goliath going, what's, what's... Seems to be something strange in this story. Giants. I, I googled giants. I need to remember the word because I forget what it's called now. Where did Goliath come from? It came from a place called Gath. You know, were there more giants there? Was he the only giant that was there? I don't know. I don't know. But there's a disease. Because when I googled giants, giantism came up. Acromedley. It's a tumour that occurs in the pituitary gland. And it causes people to grow. Remember Andre the Giant, the, the wrestler? You know? He had that problem. He kept on growing. It was big and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Could it be that Goliath had that problem. That's why he became a giant. Interesting thing when you read the story of David and Goliath, that Goliath comes down... See, what's happening is the, is the Philistines are on the south side. There's a valley or a plain in between. And, and the Israelite army is on the north side. So both of them have a tactical position. They're on top of a hill. They don't want to go and fight each other inside the, in the valley because the moment you get down there, you lose your tactical advantage. So it's much better for the opposition to come running up the hill to you because then you at least have gravity working with you. Right? You can overwhelm them that way when they come charging up. So the whole deal is that Goliath comes down there and he says, look, why don't I just fight with whoever is the best of your army and, and we'll call it quits after that. Whoever wins, we win the whole deal. The rest of you can run away. David comes along. This boy comes to take on heavily armed infantrymen. Now what if Goliath had acromedaly? If you have acromedaly, the, 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 um, the tumour in your brain causes your eyesight actually to become deficient over time. It's interesting that Goliath was led down in the valley by a shield bearer. Shield bearer. Now why did he have a shield bearer? It must have been a jolly great big shield considering the size of this man. The reason why you would have a shield bearer is because the first person that's going to have a go at you is, is going to be the artillery, right? The guys are going to, with their, with their slings or their, their bows and arrows, they're going to have a go at you. So you dodge down behind your shield, 
first volley of shot comes, you know, second volley maybe, okay, now the, now the, now the, uh, the infantrymen are going to come in hand-to-hand combat. So you get away from behind your shield, you, you get your, your javelin, you chuck that a bit, you've got your spear, you go and poke people with that thing, you've got your, your sword and you go and chop them up with that. So he's waiting for that to happen. There were, two, there were three people in that valley, by the way. We only talk about David and Goliath. Where was the shield bearer? He was there as well. But Goliath, when he, when he abuses David, says, why do you come against me like I'm a dog with sticks? Why does Goliath think he's got sticks? Plural. He had one stick. His shepherd's staff. Was it that he couldn't see so well? That, because one of the things you can get from Akram Italy is, is, is um, your eyes cross a little. And so you see two things instead of one. So Goliath couldn't see too well. He says, oh, he's got sticks. He's kind of beat me like a dog. He didn't get down behind his shield, behind the shield bearer's shield, right, when, when David was ready with the sling. So perhaps he couldn't see that he was coming with the sling. David was from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin in the book of uh, Judges, they were known for the use of the sling. Now this is a toy sling, okay? I can put a, I can put a, um, I can put a pebble in this and fling it away. And it generally goes in front of me when I have a go. Sometimes it goes, whatever. But these guys were experts. In the Valley of Elah, there is barium sulfate, which is an incredibly hard rock. It's, it's about two times as dense as your, as your normal pebble. The sling artillerymen used, a, used rocks about the size of a baseball. It's nearly a bit smaller than my fist. Can you imagine someone coming up against you with this thing now, if I remember rightly, it's about 50 metres per second that you can sling something away. Imagine that sound. It must have frightened the dickens out of someone. When you hear that sound, it would have been a bigger sound because they had bigger slings with bigger rocks in them. And it copped him right between the eyes. Knocked him. Lights were out for this guy. It may be that Goliath couldn't see so well. He was still a big, strong man. You wouldn't want to fight him, right? I wouldn't want to get anywhere near a big, strong man. Because once he gets a grip of me, I'm in trouble. Particularly a guy that size. But he says, David, you come to me and fight me. Why did he say come to me? Why didn't he go to David? He couldn't see him. Now, there's no less miraculous element in all of this, what's going on. But what I want you to understand is this giant was a big giant because of the people that were looking at him. He had problems and he wasn't near as fearsome and strong as the whole army thought he was. David was very shrewd. He knew precisely what he was doing. He knew this bloke's got a problem. If I stay away from where he can get a hold of me and get, a, get him with my sling, he's going down. If he's, if he's throwing rocks made of barium sulfide, twice as dense as most stones, now that's like a 45 caliber bullet to the forehead. That's what took him out. The point of the whole deal is that your giants are not as big or as fearsome as you think. God is a lot more able than you think. Why don't we take a step of faith and trust him with the giants of our life? Yeah? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible goodness towards us, your love, your care, your mercy. Help us, Lord, to have the perspective that you have day by day on the giants that we think we face. May we see them from the heavenly perspective. May we see what you are doing in our lives. Enable us, Lord, to trust you more, to be more effective for you, to accept that you are allowing things in our lives to train us so that we can grow in our faith.
And every step of the way, may you receive the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name.